wasn't sure. Uh, tonight is communion night, and you know we do different things. Sometimes it's a little bit more worship and prayer. Um, and I know we've been going through the Book of Esther, and uh, it's been a blessing, to be honest with you. But the other day, when I was just reading in the Book of Exodus, I came across this passage that I'd like to share with you tonight. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Exodus chapter 15. And I was just reading this section right here, and you know, I've read it, oh man, 30 times. I've read it so many times in my life, and for whatever reason, this time as I read through, it just really, it hit home inside of me, and I really felt, and I've been praying for the last three days. I didn't even know up until maybe an hour ago that the Lord would have me share this with you, and so, um, here in Exodus, what you find, and you guys probably know the story, but the children of Israel had been set free from Egypt. They were redeemed. And you guys remember the story? You know, the, the 10 plagues. God flexed his muscles. God defeated the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. And then ultimately, that last plague, that final plague, when they killed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, I mean, that was symbolic of the cross and Jesus' blood. And that was the one that brought about the death of all the firstborn in Egypt that would then lead to their deliverance. And so you guys remember they, they, they came out of Egypt. It still wasn't over because then they were led by God to a place where they were at the Red Sea and there were two mountains on both sides. They're there just kicking it. They're just camping. And you guys remember what happened is the Egyptian army with six hundred chariots came against them. And so what, you guys remember what happened is, you know, uh, they, they, Moses cried out to the Lord. He lifted up the rod over the water and then the sea, it divided. I mean, it's amazing. And they went across the sea on, on dry ground and not, that, not just that, man. And when they got to the other side, think about this. And some of you here, you've probably seen the movie so you can visualize it. As they're there on the other side, then the waters, they closed down on the Egyptian army and every single one of them dies. God delivered them. God saved them. And, and what you find, what that is, is symbolic of, of the way that God saved us. You know, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're a believer, somewhere along the line, and you may not realize it now because now you're a Christian, and who knows, maybe you're even used to it, maybe you're even taking it lightly, but man, I pray you would know what a miracle you are. You know the Lord. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. You've been brought out of Egypt. God defeated the devil for you. I mean, do we realize that? You know, now, now we're Christians and it's, just, it's a miracle. And so when they were, um, when, they, when they came on the other side, you know, they started singing and they started praising. Remember Moses' song? And then even uh, uh, Miriam, she started singing and they brought out the tambourines. We should do that here. And then they started dancing. And I know you guys would like, you would never dance, but... I mean, you can, you can kind of like just, just, they were just so happy that they had been saved, right? And so now you're a Christian, right? And so now everything goes perfect, amen? 
Isn't that the way it works? Come on, you're a Christian. They say your God's the real God, the living God. That he knows every tear and every hair and everything you go through and nothing, nothing bad will ever happen to you, right? Wrong. Because right after they're worshiping and they're praising and just so, you know, happy what God had done, Look what happens here in Exodus chapter 15. It says in in verse 22, and so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. I mean, they're now in the wilderness of Shur. So I'm sure the trials are over now, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure like the wildness of the wilderness, it it won't exist, it won't touch them, it will cease, right? Wrong. They went three days without water. Okay, how long, I mean, how long you guys go without water? Think about that, you know? I mean, three days without water. I'll tell you what, that's a legitimate trial. I mean, it's not good. But, but notice what happens. It says in verse 22 that Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, they called the name of it Marah. And so, you know, again, that no, no water for three days, not good, but suddenly they see water at a distance. They, they find water, it's all better now, right? But when they begin to drink the water, it turns out the water is, is bitter. They can't drink it. It's not just a little bit of bitter. You know, sometimes we drink, we're thinking, oh, it's like that Perrier stuff. I don't really like that. But, you know, no, this is something that when the moment it touches, you know, your tongue, you spit it out. You can't drink it. It's like, like, like poison, right? And you're like, wait a minute. I mean, I, you know, and you thought, what's going on? Is, is God teasing them? I mean, would God do that? Is it a setup? I mean, you know, you're, you're, you've got no water, you're on the ground, you get up, you get your hopes up because you see the water only to what? Only to be let down again and again and again and again. So what do you do? What do you do in a situation like that? It's pretty plain. You complain, right? Isn't that what you do? And the people, it says in verse 24, complained. They complained against Moses. What are we going to drink, dude? You know, you brought us out here. You know, you, you didn't even think to bring some arrowhead or something. I mean, you know, and, and, and they start complaining. The old King James, it says they murmured. And, you know, in one sense, from a physical standpoint, to be honest with you, uh, from a logical standpoint, I mean, it's just, uh, it's legit, you know? I mean, they didn't have water for three days, but here's the thing. From the spiritual standpoint, it's not, it's not legit. It's not understandable. 
Why? Because we got to know, you know, no matter what happens in our life, you guys, it's not an oops. God hasn't forgotten you. You are not ultimately being led by Moses or your husband or your ministry overseer. You are being led by God. You belong to God. You will not die until God calls you home and then you'll be happy and that's your day. And if ever God brings you to places and days when you happen to thirst physically, it's because he wants to quench your thirst spiritually. He wants you to drink spiritually. We gotta know that. We have to, no matter what it is that we're gonna face in life, we have to trust him to the point that we will stop complaining. I mean, here's the thing. If all he ever did was bring you out of Egypt, then that would be enough reason to never complain again. That would be enough to worship for the rest of your life, no matter what happens in your life. I mean, but in all honesty, come on, you guys, look at your life, man. I look at you guys, and I'm like, man, these are some pretty cool people, man. I mean, I mean, you're rich. You guys know that, right? I mean, how many of you here, if you want to have a taco afterwards, can have a taco? Just be honest. You know you can. I mean, we're, we're blessed. How many of you here, especially you guys here, you know what? You're cold. You got, you got heaters, man. You got a bed to sleep on. I mean, this morning when I was up and I was praying in the garage, I even got me an electric blanket. I'm starting to get used to that. You know, I didn't tell my wife, but I I snaked it, you know? And I mean, we are so rich. We are so blessed. Why do we complain? You know, especially as American Christians, you should never be complaining. And I read one quote that said, the next time you feel like complaining, remember that your garbage disposal eats better than 30% of the world's population. And you're doing what? Why are you complaining? Oh, it's the relation. It's my situation. It's my occupation. It's him. It's her. No, it's you. It's you. You know, John Corson said, trials are the x-rays that allow us to see what's really going on in our hearts. When you complain, it's an indictment of yourself. Something's wrong with your relationship with God. If you keep complaining the way the children of Israel did, then you will have the same fate they did. Eventually, the day came where God said, enough. Enough. I wanted to take you into this wonderful life. You wouldn't trust me. You thought the giants were too big. You thought your situation was too hard. You didn't trust me enough to where you would stop running your mouth. That's heavy. You know, you'd be surprised what a difference a good outlook can do for you. I mean, rather than speaking negative you know you start speaking positive i heard a story that took place out west where a cowboy was driving down a dirt road and his dog was riding in the back of his pickup and his faithful horse was in the trailer behind and so he failed to negotiate a curve and sure enough he had a terrible accident 
So a while later, a highway patrol officer came on the scene. He loved animals, and he saw the horse first. Realizing the serious nature of the injuries, he knew the horse wasn't going to make it, and so he drew his service revolver out, and he, and he put the animal out of its misery. He walked next to the dog, and he found it also hurt critically. Uh, he couldn't bear to hear it crying and whining and and uh, in pain, and so he also ended the dog's suffering. So finally he located the man, the cowboy, who suffered multiple fractures, and he said, hey, are you okay? Uh, And then the cowboy took one look at the smoking revolver in the trooper's hand and said, great, great, never felt better in my whole life. (laughs) Maybe you should say that. I'm doing great. I am doing great, man. I mean, I am saved, I am free, I am forgiven. I am right in the middle of this wonderful trial that God has brought me to. And I praise him and I trust him because I know he will work all things together for good. I mean, you look at the life of Jacob, man. I mean, I, you know, I, I, don't, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to lose your 17-year-old son. You know, one day, he's the one that you love, man, and everything looks so good. He's got such a wonderful, such a bright future, and then one day, he's gone. You know, and all these things begin to happen to Jacob, and eventually, he comes to a place in his life. You know what he says? All these things are against me. Little did he know that all those things were working for him. You know, Joseph goes, and Joseph is faithful. You know, Joseph passes the test. A lot of men don't. And he flees from sexual immorality. We should do that. You know, but Joseph, he's doing the right thing, serving the Lord. God's with him the whole time. How does Joseph get rewarded? It gets worse. He ends up in prison. Now it's worse. No, it's not worse. Now you're closer to the place that God will bring you to where you will save Israel. I mean, whatever the devil will throw your way, God will take and use it for your good and your glory. You know, it's such an awesome thing when you look at how when we, when we just decide, you know what, I'm not gonna speak you know, that, that, that those complaints any longer. I will trust God, how it can save your life. And in looking at this, we see, well, you know, they're complaining and eventually they're gonna keep complaining, but there is a lesson to learn in this, uh, in this section right here. I mean, what did, what did, we saw what they did. What did Moses do? Well, Moses in verse 25, he says he he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. Is that what you do? You know, when something happens that you don't understand, do you immediately pray, cry out to God? Because let me tell you something. If you did, it would be totally different but you don't. That's, that's just, all you gotta do is cry out to the Lord, you know? And 
Uh, if I was in a situation like that where three days, no one's having water, I'm the leader, right? If I was in a situation like that, I don't know about you, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. It reminds me of that passage over in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. It says, we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's it. You know, I'm not saying that I have an answer for your situation because I don't. Neither do you, but the Lord does. And so you have to come to that place where our eyes are on you, our cries are to you. I'm not just playing church. I'm not just religious. I don't just go and, you know, split and, you know, I leave my church there at the building, man. I, you know, in the trenches, You know, when I get tempted, when things happen, I pray, I cry out to God. And if you do that, you'll be be fine. I mean, the Lord will show you what you need to do. Don't tell me you've been praying because if you've really been praying, then there's no way you'd be complaining. And you're like, well, yeah, but I prayed this morning, man. I got up and, you know, I spent an hour in prayer. And that's cool. You know, you need that. But you know what we need to do more than that? Pray without ceasing. And when you're right there and the devil just goes bam and he hits you with something, you know, it's not like you're like, well, I prayed this morning at 6.30, you know. It's like right there and them in the middle, you know exactly what to do. Right there and then pray. Cry out to God, God help me. Right there, that's what you have to do. That's the key to victory. You know, remember, if you think about it, Moses hadn't had any water for three days either. And if you haven't drank any water for three days, what's God doing? He's testing you. He's testing you, right? I mean, what are you really made of? I know it's cliche, but it's also God's touche, if I could just say it that way. What will you do and how will you be? Here's the question. Bitter or better? That's the key. That's the question. You know? Look what happened. I mean, they came right here. It says uh, in verse 23, now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we do? So he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't give titles to studies because I'm not, I don't know, sometimes I think it's a little cheesy, you know, but... um. I would say this, I would say this to you guys tonight, I hope you're doing better. Life has a way of, uh, you know, almost constantly throwing things at us that we don't understand. You know, life has a way where we feel like we haven't really quenched our thirst and it seems like it's been like a long time, you know, and then when we go to that, it seems like that's it, that's the answer and it's not the answer. Something changes, something happens. And then we have that choice in life, whether or not we will be a bitter person. And there are many bitter, sour, poisonous people out there. We have that choice. Will you be bitter? Or will you trust God 
from the heart and, and be better. You know, one day, two monks were walking through the countryside. They were on their way to another village to help bring in the crops. And as they walked, they spied uh, an old woman sitting at the edge of a river. The woman was upset because there was no bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. And so the first monk, he offered uh, to the woman, he said, we'll carry you across if you'd like. And she said, thank you, that would be wonderful. And she accepted their help. And so the two men, they joined hands and, and they lifted her between them and carried her across the river. And when they got to the other side, notice this, they set her down. And she went her way, they went their way, right? And so from that point, after they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. He said, look at my clothes. They're, they're, they're filthy. They're dirty from carrying that woman across the river, and they stink. And my back, it still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it. It's starting to get stiff. And, and the first monk, he just smiled. And he, he nodded, and he heard what the man said. A few more miles up the road, the second month griped again. He said, my back is, is hurting me now tremendously, and it's all because we had to carry that woman. We had to carry her across the river. I, I just can't go any farther. The pain is too much. And the first month, looked, monk looked down at his partner, now lying on the ground, and he's moaning. And, and he said, have you wondered why I'm not complaining? And... He said, your back hurts you because you're still carrying the woman. I set her down five miles ago because I have a life to live. And the reason that so many times people are bitter is because they won't let go. They won't forgive, like it says in Matthew 18, from the heart. You know, we gotta be so careful, you guys. We, we go through things we don't understand. Sometimes we get bitter at God. That's why many of us are struggling because we can't let go. How can we make sure we're not that second monk? How can we make sure we don't nurse the bitterness and experience the curse of bitterness? How can we reverse? Maybe you've been here tonight, and maybe you have been a bitter person, how can you overcome that? While Moses prayed, that that's one thing I think that we can do immediately, God showed him a tree, and then what he did was he cast the tree into the water, and the water then, it became, it became drinkable, right? It, it became bearable. It became tolerable, right? wrong it became sweet sweet now that i think that's what got me when i read this the other day i was like wow it wasn't just like you know i don't know arrowhead water arrowhead water is good you guys like dasani dasani's a little better although it has a little bit extra stuff in it you know you know, I don't know, it wasn't just like tap water. I mean, no. I mean, it was sweet. And, and when, I, when I read that, it just really ministered to my heart 
the very things that we're fighting against, that we are, are so bitter about, the very things that we're shaking our fist up at God or, or at life or we're complaining to you know, whoever it might be, those very things, God wants us to take that tree and cast it into that water so that that water, that water becomes sweet in your life. You know, Moses prayed, he cast the tree into the water and the water became sweet. And the very water that seemed to mock me and represent my doom and, and death, the, the very water that, that seemed to say God has failed to care for me, the very water that I, I blame him and them and this and that, the bad and bitter water actually became sweet to my soul. How? How does that happen? Well, it happens when you finally come to that place where you throw the tree in. What's that? It's the cross, right? It's the cross. If you would, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two, in verse 18, it says, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. And I like this passage in, in light of what we read, you know, because, you know, he, he's talking about, you know, the, the wilderness of sure, how sure it is that we're going to suffer the trials. And what it is is, is we're Christians, we're followers of Christ, we're going to follow in his footsteps. And you know, so many things about it. The context there is about a guy who works for somebody. It's his master. And his master, he doesn't like, you know, from a fleshly standpoint, he doesn't like what, what his master's telling him to do. You know, but, but, he, but he bears it, you know, patiently, just like Jesus did. And, and, then, and then he goes on and, and, to, and say, that's the cross. That's the cross 
for us. You see, because when we look at life and we realize it's all part of his plan, when we look at life and we realize that, you know, you guys, um, even in these things, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, when we put the cross in the water, I think we see two things. Number one is his cross for us, which is salvation. And then number two, the, our cross, how we have to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. So why are you complaining at the life that God has given you? He died for you. I understand it's hard. I understand it's difficult, but to be honest with you, we shouldn't complain. We shouldn't. I mean, if anything, maybe to the Lord, Lord, I'm having a hard day today. Lord, this is difficult for me. But I know you're leading. I know you're guiding. God, give me strength because I don't understand why these things are happening. But I do trust you. But, but when we start, you know, I don't know, man, when we lose that trust in God, that's when we, you know, that's when we lose. And what ends up happening is, in the book of Hebrews tells us, it becomes a root of bitterness inside of us. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but they say that, um, a rattlesnake, if it's cornered, will sometimes become so angry that it bites itself. Did you guys know that? It's weird, huh? I try, next time you see a rattlesnake, just try it. <laughs> just corner it. <laughs> well, that's what they say. Um, and, and you know, that's what the, the harboring of all that bitterness, it does. You know, you think you're making progress by, you know, complaining and getting, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, absolutely not. Who are you harming? You're, you're harming yourself. And so let's, let's get back to the fact that, you know, let's get back to we're saved. You guys, we are saved people, man. I mean, if he died for you to, to save you, can I ask you a question? Or do you believe he died for you? Okay, do you guys believe he died for you? He was nailed to a cross for you. He suffered. And I was thinking about this morning when I was praying. I'm like, man, Lord, you suffered. You suffered so much for me when they, when they mocked you, when they beat you, and they flogged you, and then they told you to carry that 75-pound cross, and then they nailed you to it, and you hung there, and they spit on you. You did all that for me. So, so now you're complaining against him because you don't like the way that life has turned out for you. I understand it's hard, but you gotta understand that as you throw the cross in there, the, the salvation, it's all part of his plan, then what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to drink from those very waters and those waters will become sweet because why? because that's all part of his, it's all part of your 
your Savior's plan. Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. All things except that, right? No. You know what? I remember one time I was in a hospital room. I was talking to a guy and, and uh, he got some bad news. The doctor said things didn't look good. You know what he did? He lifted his hand and he said, praise God. Praise God. I challenge you in the situation that you find yourself in. I challenge you, I urge you, I beg you, I exhort you. I pray that you would know God loves you so much that you can trust him. yourself.